people of Earth. If you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, Really? Oh, everywhere. Every building was a focus stop. Every building had a, a rare. They had the flyers made up going like, this Pokemon is here in this building. And I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. And uh, that's when he made me join. And then so we're walking back and forth. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and so I'm like, damn it. I don't want to be a part of this. And uh, but yeah, so I've been playing that ever since. But yeah, it's been slow, slim pickings by my house. There's nothing. We have a park that's about a five minute walk from here that has a stop and then another five minutes past that there's a church that has a stop and that's about it the church cross street for me has two stops and a gym so today during during work it's like oh, i need to step away for a moment uh, i finally i finally captured my first gym today i've captured a few i tried one i've yet to capture we one. captured three uh in Disneyland, and Stephanie took screenshots so that she could say, "You got the haunted mansion for a minute." <laughs> yeah, we were sitting at a restaurant uh, in in uh, Kansas City, and it was it was the second floor of the airport. And I swear, the guy must have been two tables over over for me. We kept on taking. Back and forth on this one. Uh, Were you one guys gym. fighting? <laughs> well, I didn't actually. I didn't actually take it over, but I took it down, mm. and then he would take it over, and then I'd take mm. it down. And then mm. somebody. Yeah. That's funny. I got yeah. sniped a lot at Universal Studios as yeah. well, where it was just like I'd wear it down, and then somebody would just you know <laughs> before I could get back in. No, I have to heal my Snorlax first. Yeah. <laughs> the things we're saying out loud know, again right? that actually <laughs> heal my Snorlax. That sounds like a personal problem, but <laughs> I hope they have a cream for that. My Snorlax is my biggest one, too. They do, yeah. Well, if you get a... Most Snorlax is like if you hatch them, because out here, yeah. I don't know if you can catch them. I don't know. Mine, mine came out of an egg, but he's... Uh, yeah, so did mine. It's so like 1590 now. I've got mine over 2000. I don't even have anything in the thousands. My highest one is... I find that regionalism very interesting, hmm. because Chicago was just, as my joke was, it was lousy with drowsy and jinxes. And oh, jinx. That's a weird... Uh, everything about the jinx is disturbing and yeah. and you know what you really haven't been truly disturbed until your 12 year old son has come up to you doing a jinx impersonation what was that hand for oh you're just that's how i take a selfie so i don't have to press it you put your hand up and it registers and counts down oh. lovely yeah so Which yeah. Phone i don't so. think iphone does that it does that's the samsung yeah, galaxy yeah yeah all does right does it still do the thing where you can say cheese and old shoot no, oh. not on this one. My, no, that, my last Samsung on the do that. on the gal yeah. on the six it did that. Uh-huh. The seven it doesn't. It's it's uh-huh. now this. So, but that it, I, I mean, I I discovered that a few months ago. I'm like, this is brilliant because I, I can't take selfies. Yeah, to save my you, life. you teach me. So Move much. your finger, and then everything goes out of frame. Right, and exactly. Out of focus. Or I completely you, you, out of focus. So yeah. I was like, oh, but that was that's really interesting. Yeah, so. it was. Yeah, I found that online. I went, does that really work? It sure does. Well, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So. So happy. this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and Smooth. we are podcasting on, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Wednesday, August. It's the wrong show, though. I don't know. You're right. This is the Comic-Con show. <laughs> so, But let's keep it because, you know, okay. that's it's all, you know, the, I don't mind the bloopers that are really as we're going, but this is why we can't, uh, what is it, Facebook Live it. We really can't. That's uh, why we can't plan anything. <laughs> yeah. So we are... Uh, I, we are doing the second part of our Comic Con interview show, uh, which again, like our timeline will be all screwed up by this. I love that when we're like time travelers. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't know when this is. So we're going to record this week's podcast after we record next week's podcast, which totally makes sense. Oh. So uh, anyway, this is Derek McCoy, Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. Uh, across from me is podcast producer Rick. 
Brett Snyder. And the person who accompanied me to Comic-Con this year and may or may not speak up in our introductions who for is this, this person? is Jason. Jason Salazar. Oh, there we go. That's me. That's right. We so, shared a room together. We d- we did. Yeah. Plutonically. You Plutonically? Yeah. yeah I, I You're no that. longer a planet? No, no, yeah, I, no. Plutonically. No, no, I'm still, I, I'm still radioactive. Or just, a ra- <laughs> just a big old Disney dog. That's, <laughs> that's right. Woo-hoo. And there's your title. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, tonight's, uh, this podcast episode is, is some of the Comic-Con interviews that uh, I had, we still had to share with you. Uh, and, of course, if you are um, <clears throat> listening to this on iTunes, I should say, rather, the Fanboy Planet podcast is available on iTunes, on Google Play, on Podcast Pickle, on, what was the other one, Stitcher app, so many things. But uh, particularly Google Play and iTunes, if you are listening to this and you enjoy it, please rate us, review us, subscribe to us. Definitely tell your friends, get the word out. We'd like to also uh, say that we've we've got uh, some affiliates that I want to call attention to, which is we've just joined Think Geek as an affiliate, thanks to listener Brian Kent, who wrote in asking me, hey, are you, a, are you an affiliate of Think Geek? Because that'd be great. So there's a big ad on Fanboy Planet for Think Geek. This does not mean they're advertising. It means that if you want to buy something through Think Geek, uh, they uh, you go through our ad and you will and we will get a tiny little kickback. You to will help tickle support. us with some coin. Sell yes. out, uh, sort of. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> because the other thing is, if you hear uh, of one of the books that we speak of in in this podcast tonight, and you are not able to find it at your local brick and mortar store, you can go to the Amazon link that's there on Fanboy Planet, and we will get a small kickback. We shall be, as Rick disturbingly said, tickled with some coin. Uh, no, it's not really. It's more like digital. They just sort of send an email and say, you have this much money. Pennies. Tickled with some digital? I digital coins. With Doge coins. Uh, I'm still caught up on Podcast Pickle. Okay, I know. It's, <laughs> it's all just vaguely disturbing. <laughs> and uh, and also a shout out to uh, to Aces Weekly, an affiliate with us as well, which is David Lloyd's uh, online comic service, which includes uh, strips by creators, such creators as Batten Lash and, of course, David Lloyd himself. So please support them. Uh, and, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You need another C there, I think. I think there was something else. Well, there's Macaw. No, it's too late. Uh, and I also forgot to mention that, of course, you can, if you'd like to support us, you can uh, support us through PayPal as well, editor at fanboyplanet.com. So uh, rather than get through news, this is uh, this is our com- the, the tail end of our Comic-Con stuff. So... Uh, I think this was from Friday. What were you doing on Friday at Comic Con? Do you even remember, Jason? God no. You were sleeping. I, I was. Know, pro- I know no, <laughs> no, no, no. Friday. I think that's when I got no, up early. I'd, give, I'd given you the the you know the the cloth with the you know. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I thought geez. we were going to keep that on okay. the DL. Anyway, Friday's the day you kind of dread because it's the first day that a lot of people are going to be there. I think that's the you day. You did get up. I early. got up early were... to try to go get the uh, Mystery Science Theater. Um, autograph ticket for uh, the new cast which i got yes so that was my one goal for the day and i won and then after that i just walked around and <laughs> i went back i went back to the room at one point and slept for a few hours because they weren't mm-hmm. signing till like five and i got up at like six thirty, and i was like i'm done well so, on that day yes <laughs> i got to sit down with someone that i've been trying dying to interview for years and finally thanks to dark horse comics and ob driver got a chance to meet at the dark horse booth and interview gail simone who, through Dark Horse, is writing uh, Leaving Megalopolis, uh, which is a really dark vision of superheroes having failed the city. What what happens after they've done that? Uh, so I think it's actually the, the most recent miniseries released was actually Leaving was crossed out and it was Surviving Megalopolis. Mm. Uh, but also, within the last week or so, they just released Dynamite, released that Red Sonja mm-hmm. uh, motion comic. So uh, she got to. They adapted her script from Dynamite Comics, and uh, of course, we've we've long been fans here on the podcast of her work on Secret Six and Birds of Prey, and I don't know what else you could say. Just about everything. Just about. Yeah, she she is one of those writers where um, I can't say that there's anything I've read by her that I didn't like. I love Secret Six. Yeah. So we talked about Secret Six in this interview. So, Gail Simone. Okay, let's begin. Uh, we're here at Comic Con with Gail Simone. I feel like this is a long time coming because I don't know if you know that. You know, I see you all the time and say like, "Here's my card. Let's set up an interview." And then I always forget to. <laughs> oh to, my goodness! No, oh. no, that's my. That's on me. So I feel like I'm circling a long time and saying, um, 
So it's exciting to be able to actually sit down with you and talk about... You're having a heck of a year, but we'll, we'll focus on Dark Horse first with uh, surviving megalopolis, what we call it, leaving megalopolis. Colon, surviving, Surviving yeah. megalopolis. Exactly. So what was your inspiration for uh, for this? It's very dark. I mean, it's tropes, right? Justice League slash Avengers gone bad kind of. Well, it's not really tropes. I don't really like doing like the exact, you know, sideways version of superhero character. Um, the whole... The whole point of it is, you know, should a town or, you know, a community or the world give up its security to one entity, whether it's a government or superheroes or whatever it may be. And um, Jim and I talked, uh, we had several different ideas of projects that we wanted to do together uh, once Secret Six was done, and Leaving Megalopolis was the one that we both really gravitated towards, and I feel like it, you know, Jim's... uh, Art and storytelling just is so wonderful on this project that I'm really excited that that's what we chose to do because we built this world and there's all kinds of things that are going to be going on within this uh, within Megalopolis. Right. So are we, we're it's wrapping up a new issue a finale for this. Yeah, for the second coming, volume. You have yeah. more volumes. It's, yes, it's a exactly. long term. <laughs> <laughs> your life's work. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to just jump around a little bit. You brought up Secret Six there. It's been interesting. I mean, I guess that's coming to an end, too, over at DC. Or yeah, it yeah, it end. has. But how was it to take, like, one reality, Secret Six, and such a great book, and then come back and basically recreate the characters again, same title, slowly getting back <laughs> to the way it was. Remember, but it was so strong out of the, out of the you know... You've been writing the same characters in different realities. How challenging was that? Um, I love that. I love a challenge. That's why I do so many different types of projects and, and try not to do the same things over and over again. And I really like the idea of putting Catman in a situation where he would come out the other end a little bit damaged and a little bit, um, uh, a little more, a little darker, a little edgier, a little more reactive than what he went in and so I especially when Dale redesigned the new costume for the um, new 52 Secret Six I just felt like it was sexier, modern a little darker and fit in with the types of stories we were going to be telling for for that incarnation of Secret Six. And how did those uh, I guess villains with a heart of gold almost (laughs) did that inform any of the Megalopolis work? Um, I think, I don't think that it, that's really a tough question for me to answer. I think it's just more what you're seeing is the synergy between Jim and I and the way we work together more than seeing like characters that are, that are inspired by Secret Six. I think you're just seeing us working together. So as a collaboration that we're like, does Jim come back with ideas and you say. Oh yeah, yeah. And Jim's written some stuff of his own, you know. Jim Calafiore. yeah. Yeah, he's, for anybody he's a who's terrific writer sure, and creator, yeah. and he's got a degree from film school, so he understands about oh, visual so storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Besides the fact that he's a talented artist, so uh, you know he really does a lot of heavy lifting for this for the entire series. With you know regards to the visual stuff, we discuss the ideas before it gets script most of the time, exactly, at least where we're heading, and uh, then we both go to our corners, do our work, and then you know. Collaborate is that, back is, to that, is that your preferred method? I mean, what, what, what's your favorite way to collaborate or, or to write? Um, I write full script always. I've tried doing like you know plot only or Marvel way type scripting, and it doesn't work for me. It takes me five times longer actually than just doing the full script in the beginning. But creator owned projects, I tend to um, to talk to my co creator before we get the tone, the you know the type of story we're telling, what we want to tell. And that type of stuff first, and we discuss it, and then we all go write the script, then send it. They read the script and, and figure out how to do it visually, and you know, we may talk a little bit back and forth. But I have been so blessed to work with such amazing creators that once they get the script, I don't really need to worry about anything, you know, beyond that. With Clean Room, since I created it, and there isn't um, technically a co-creator, although John has just become invaluable. I had the scripts were written before a lot of them before he came to work. And how long a gap will you have between Megalopolis installments? So we're wrapping this up, there'll be a trade paperback right. in a few months. 
taking a breather for other products. As you got to announce this week and Dynamite announced, you've got a few other things on your plate. Uh, so um, We haven't set a date exactly yet. We'll keep everybody informed and, and you know tune them in on what's going on, but uh, uh, as the exact dates go. So I, okay. I don't have a great, clear answer for that yet, but as soon right. as we can. All right. So let's talk a little bit about that Dynamite news. You... Uh, not only in is it two weeks now, you have a motion comic out of the red. Yeah, the red and you can go to the Shout Factory booth right now and purchase it now before it comes out publicly. And, oh, well. And so I've seen it as well, and it's very cool. <laughs> is that the first time that you've had, you know, like your words that brought, brought to life by, by actors? No, because that? I've written Justice League Unlimited That's episodes and Brave and the Bold yeah. episodes. Um, but it was such a delight to see that... Um, the great voice acting for the this Red Sony Motion comic, and then you get to hear the swords clanging and an orchestra, and you know people groaning in the fight. It's just amazing. Do they, they bring you back in the script? I mean, because the motion comics that I've seen seem to follow the original. Comics yeah, it very follows well. the Queen of Plagues. So it didn't bring yeah. you. But they didn't bring you back to say like. No, you know, they didn't need to do that. They, okay. It's pretty much there, all there. But they need to for the video game, which is coming. The so video game I'll be writing from scratch. Uh, it'll be a new Red Sonja adventure, and we may see familiar faces, but um, it's not going to be taken directly from uh, anything that I've previously written. Okay. And you, what's the change in that, from writing comics to going to video games? Um, <laughs> when you write a story like, let's just say, Queen of Plagues, it's a very linear story that, you know, I know that I'm taking the reader on this this story that goes a certain way. In video games, different things happen depending on what choices you make. So we have to write little stories in in among the larger story. Uh, that's the main difference is we have to consider what options. We will guide people to make options, but then there'll be stories, story changes depending on what people do. Do you think that that'll be a, a, another path for your career? I suspect there's a lot of things are going to start getting delivered story-wise in <laughs> games. Um, I've written video games before, but Midway was the company I was working for, and unfortunately, they went under before the project was completed. So, um, and I'm, you know, a pretty good, pretty big gamer myself, and so to be able to write storylines and write video games is something that I've wanted to do again for quite a while, so I'm really excited. And then to be able to do that with a character like Red Sonja, all the better. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Now, I also know you're a big Disney fan. Yes. So, um, <laughs> I was just throw out because I don't I know my haircut sucks the previous interviews <laughs> the interview was you know my haircut good no so I'll say what's your favorite uh, attraction at, at any of the Disney out of all the Disney parks my favorite attraction um, I really really love Epcot and um, I think that that probably goes back to when I was a kid growing up on a tiny farm outside a tiny town in Oregon and hearing about it you know on the wonderful world of Disney and, and thinking oh man that would be so cool to get out and be able to go to a bunch of different countries at once and try the food and I just really like it I was just there um, last month and we had a wonderful time and the music from different countries is another thing I really enjoy there and uh, we just loved it a lot <laughs> cool well I hope you get a chance to uh I guess you're flying back up, so but I hope you get to visit a Magic Kingdom again soon. <laughs> Thank and, you. And wish you all the best in this a busy year, so we'll look forward. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much. Next up, thanks to Boom Studios and Mel Kahlo, there was a chance to talk to James Tynan IV, who is probably best known right now for mainstream fans as the writer of Detective Comics. So he is... The one, Batman family book. Which is great. And yeah. he's been writing a lot of the Batman stuff, Batman Eternal and Batman and Robin Eternal. He's been in the Bat Stable for quite some time. But he had a book that came out last week. <laughs> I want to see the Bat Stable. Is that in the isn't back? There a horse? That's behind the... Wait, isn't there a horse? No, there's a cow. The cow. There is a cow. A, cow. a there, bat cow? There is a bat, bat cow. cow. Really? Yes, there his, is a bat he's cow. got a bat. His Are you coloring, serious? His really? coloring, his coloring on his face is a bat. What logo. purpose does it serve? Does he Nothing. drink bat it's, milk? It he's, sort of humanizes Damien. Damien oh, okay. He's one of Damien's pets. Okay. Damien's yeah. keeping a menagerie. Imagine, uh, he's had an adventure, though. Yeah, I'm there was sure an there was with a, the bat cow. a bat cow adventure. <sighs> the Things we teach Jason. I, I can't uh, wait to see that spin off. <laughs> but I, he re, we really need a Jason bat. Jason Salazar, not a bat Jason Todd. There's no with, teaching Jason Todd. With a bat true. watering trough and a bat. I'm sure there is. Yeah. I'm sure. I can't believe there's not a bat horse. 
that seems like there's been if a you, couple of different if you dogs. Can think, if you can, well, it's all, but they're always named Ace. So you can, uh, if if you know that there was a bat horse, please, and it's escaping the Zorlax mind, <laughs> write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. But meanwhile, the real reason I got a chance to talk to James Tyne in the fourth is because last week we released a the first issue of a boombox book. Uh, which is kind of their young adult, I don't say young adult, but teenage-oriented line. Lumberjanes is, is from the Boombox imprint from from, uh, from Boom Studios. Uh, a book called The Backstagers, so it's near and dear to my heart. It's about about a high school drama backstage group. I saw you group. talking about that when we were so, there, yeah. Yeah, so fun book. It, it, uh, it, it just came out last week, so a chance to talk with James Tynan IV. <laughs> Literally, take three of <laughs> <laughs> James Tynan the Fourth at Comic Con, uh, who's got a book coming out from Boom Studios, The Backstagers, uh, and as well as done the woods for them before, and done a lot of spent a lot of time in Gotham City for uh, for DC. So, what was your pitch to Boom with The Backstagers? I mean, it started with uh, so basically when I started developing the woods for Boom, it was actually right around the same time they created the Boombox imprint. Uh, Lumberjanes launched just uh, I think uh, three weeks before the Woods number one, and it was I saw what they were able to do there, and uh, they were creating books that that just the market hadn't seen in a while. Original all ages content, not just like a Scooby Doo book that like it seems like only libraries are really picking up. It is a like new content for kids today, and uh, especially kids who have never seen themselves in comic books before. And I started thinking about like how powerful that was because I, I was exploring a lot of themes of you know acceptance and friendship in the woods, but I'm sort exploring the darker side of the, the th- those themes. I'm you know it's almost that book is a senior in high school's view of the world, and it's more with the backstagers. I wanted to get more to where I was as a freshman when I was just trying to figure out what my place in the world was and who who I was going to become. Uh, I was a queer kid going to uh, an all-boys Catholic school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I walked in there and I, I just, I didn't think I would ever find friends. I didn't think I would ever find any sense of community. And what, and ultimately, uh, it was my, uh, my sister's ex-boyfriend who, uh, who brought me in and said, hey, like, we, I'm a part of this thing called the stage crew and you should come in and you know we're just like it, we're a bunch of weirdos it'll be great you'll fit in perfect and I found a real family there and we, we were all kind of the outcasts we were all the ones like even we, we were the ones that were just like too weird even for drama club like we were our own special a uh, breed of uh, not strange. too weird for drama club. <laughs> I hate when people say that. No, because I taught an all-girls oh, yeah, yeah. Catholic high oh, school, yeah. so uh, doing drama. So, I say, what was your specialty backstage on set crew what were, or stage crew, not set crew? Uh, I did a lot of. Uh, I, I thought myself, I thought I, I was an artist at that point. I didn't think I did a great job, but I designed a lot of the sets. Like, that's sort of what I, I, I would sort of come up with the concepts and uh, see what, where they could all go. So how does that all that influence all come into the story for the backstagers? So basically with the backstagers, what I wanted to do is capture this, real, this feel that, uh, that, that was very unique to that experience, which was I, when I started, when I joined Stage Crew, I, all of a sudden, this other half of the high school like opened up to me. Like behind the stage door, there were all of these tunnels and stuff that just ran under the school. That then, like, we were a bunch of teenagers and we were given like free reign back there, and it was a whole like magical, different place. I, I knew how like the in the basement how to get from the cafeteria to the like pottery room by cutting through like back corridors that other students weren't allowed to use, and it was just like. It was like knowing that there's a whole secret, like, magical place back there that, you know, nobody else really even cares to know. And it was only us as the backstage kids who were able to find it. So in the backstagers, I've kind of literalized the magic of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about someone who goes in and try, who joins the backstagers and finds that there is a whole strange magical world that... 
you know, the actors might be might say it's like we need this prop right now for uh, uh, like because we're going like the show's in three days. We need this. We need this exact thing, and they'll go on a crazy adventure through corridors that never land in the same place twice. That open up and there are these huge prop rooms that have like strange like prop monsters and stuff like that and they'll have to get the thing and take it back to uh, to the stage and then the actors are like okay I mean this is alright but what if we could get, have a different one and then they have to go back on the same adventure and then it's just like it's that kind of thing it's the idea of like blending the that communal experience of a bunch of different like a bunch of kids who might feel outcast uh, elsewhere in the school coming together to explore this whole magical world. Like, they talk about the magic of the stage, but this book kind of posits that the raw stuff, the real crazy magic, is backstage. Which all backstage crew members would oh, say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how This is you, all propaganda. I, I know, I understand. Uh, I was an onstage guy, oh, okay. so uh, we're awarded. <laughs> there can be peace. Um, so, what led you from being a, a tech crew guy to comics? I mean, honestly, it was... Uh, I mean, I read a lot of comics while I was uh, hanging out backstage, but uh, one of the biggest things for me was... Uh, I I knew I wanted to create stories. I thought I wanted to be involved with the theater more directly, and I have a lot of very close friends who are very involved in the theater communities in Chicago and New York, and, uh, you know, my, one of my roommates right now is an actor in L.A., uh, and a stage actor primarily, like... You know, I know, I like, I know and love the theater world, but I kind of realized that what I wanted to do more than anything else was create my own worlds and live with, live in them and explore them and build them. And comics have always been my favorite medium for that. Cool. And so one of the things that drew you to Boom with the, the Boom Box imprint, you said, was the, kind of that all ages stuff. And yeah. I, I, you know, and I'm just going to take it over to your work for DC because they're in the midst of rebirth, which I think is slowly moving some things back yeah. all ages. And I talked with John Lehman about that when his run was undetected, that he felt like it was getting too dark, too, <laughs> you know, it, 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 here's Batman that yeah. every kid loves, and you can't give a Batman comic to it. Right. So, you know. How do you translate that, or you know, do you feel a strong a strong pull to being an all ages writer? Um, it's I have a strong pull to stretching very different muscles uh, in different places because I do I want my bat books to be able to explore some some serious uh, you know serious issues and serious thoughts, but I also want it to be fun and like honestly my like my guide my guiding rock for that is almost the Claremont X Men where they're bad things did happen to the characters but mm-hmm. and but it's like it's that kind of soap opera and the, especially doing a Batman team book uh, in detective comics like that is sort of you know the, there's no better team book than the Claremont X-Men like and so that's sort of I'm taking a lot from that a lot from uh, the Chuck Dixon Bat Family titles of the 90s and then also the um you know, Batman animated series. Those are sort of my guiding stones. And then I, I want I want to explore a few, like, some more sophisticated stuff, but it's all coded in comic language where, you know, like, in my first story in Detective, I'm dealing with an organization called The Colony, which is sort of a military bat organization, and we're, uh, we're going to be exploring some... Like, you know, there's some commentary on, like, drone warfare and stuff like that, but it's all, like, it's also a big secret military bat cave. Like, it's the big fun stuff, right. but then, like, you know, it hopefully will get you thinking. And, well, and you got to strike yeah. the balance. I mean, because you say, like, there's stuff about drone stuff. It's hard. Yeah. For kids not to be aware of that stuff anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. But you also don't want to talk about it in a scary way. You want right. it to be a, a fun adventure. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And so the Backstagers, yeah. we'll go back to that, <laughs> comes out August 17th? That yes, it? that okay. is correct. All right. Yeah. And uh, how many issues? Uh, it's Right now it is solicited for eight issues. But you have more to tell, right? Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, fra- I phrase that in a very particular way. <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to that book, and thanks for taking the time, Jay. Thank you. And as I feel like I'm just bouncing back and forth between publishers here. Again, thanks to Dark Horse Comics. Got a chance to talk with uh, a longtime friend of the podcast and, and a person who has been on many times. And we've been arguing. Now, uh, Rick, you may... You may settle the argument between John Lehman and myself. And it's a friendly argument. It was fine. Which is that was he not a guest 
on the day that Chew Number One was released. Yes. Yeah, he was thinking it was three. It was issue three or four, and I no. can listen to you. No, dude, we met on the day that yeah. Chew Number One was released. Yep. So he was when he was still living in the Bay Area, and uh, so he has is in the midst of of releasing not only coming to the end of Chew but releasing uh, Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Aliens from Dark Horse Comics. So uh, we had a great conversation. Here's John Layman. Here at Comic-Con with John Lehman. Hello, hello. Old friend of Fanboy Planet. Yep. Uh, and... God, we go back to, like, shoe number four or something We like go back something. to shoe number one. You were at Elusive Comics. Was I for number one? Signing it on the day of the release. Oh, wow. And you were on our podcast. So wow. the first day. And you were still working for the... Yeah, for Cryptic. Heroes people. Yeah, yeah Cryptic. Holy cow. Okay. And, uh, I knew it was the beginning issue. I didn't realize it was... The the, it was issue. the wow. first issue. Well, you know, we're coming full circle. I know. We're oh my god! Well, we're actually here at Dark Horse. I mean, we, we, I think all will let, let us yeah, talk yeah, a little yeah. bit about yeah. you. <laughs> he doesn't have a choice. <laughs> He's not listening. Uh, so we'll, we'll first we're talking. You're working for Dark Horse, but sure. let's see which order is the billing: Aliens versus Predator versus Dread. Wow. So I just did that in a different interview, and I got it wrong. And I'm like, I'm going to sound like such an idiot that I don't know the name of my book. No, no, I totally uh, understand. But that. it's Predator versus Judge Predator, Predator versus Judge Dread versus Aliens. And at one point, I had actually like sort of pitched it where um, where the the order would change, and sometimes it would be Alien versus Judge Dread versus Predators, Judge Dread versus Alien versus Predator, and like it switched around, and it's never. It's never finalized in my head. You know what? Because I'm like, no, that's that's too confusing. Do you want to throw anybody else in there just to mess (laughs) it up any further? So, Uh, yeah. Versus Godzilla. Who does Dark Horse have? Tarzan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Concrete or uh, Sin City. Get get Marv in there. (laughs) Aliens versus Judge Dredd versus Marv versus... (laughs) (laughs) Now, that would be be hella violent. (laughs) It would be. So, let's say... So, you pitched this in the first place? Uh, No. um, uh, I, uh, I, I wrote an Aliens thing with Sam Keith. Uh, a few years ago, yeah, I remember that. So yeah, it was yeah. my first Dark Horse uh, work, and I was kind of, I guess, known to the aliens people uh-huh. at that point. And then I'm on really good friend terms with Dark uh, with IDW. You know, I've written yeah. Scarface, Godzilla, Mars Attacks, and uh, and you know they 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 know I love Judge Dredd, and they've come to me for Judge Dredd, and I've come to them. But but they'll say, oh, you want to do a you know a Judge Dredd, and I I'm overworked, or I come to them as like. No, we just did a judge death thing. You know, we don't. You know, the the, yeah. the timing was always wrong. And they're like, "Hey, we got a we got a judge dread thing. You know, you you want to hear about it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. What is it?" And they're like, "It's judge dread versus aliens versus predator." <laughs> it's like, "Holy crap!" And uh, and I guess did they know, even finish that sentence yeah, before you said yes? How much do I owe you? I think it was a matter of uh, you know because I was a known quantity to the aliens universe, which also made me you know the predator universe. Is the same, you know, approval yeah. wise, and then you know, IDW, I think, kind of vouched for me, and Dark Horse knew me already, so um, I, I it, it became a pitch something that get approved, gets approved, and so uh, I went, nu- I went nuts, and uh, and here it is. Well, I figured, yeah, in, in those terms, you're, you're the you're, you are the guy who can take it over the over the top. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they expected a level of madness, and which that's why they. Because they way back, because way back when I think uh, when you were when right when she was launching, you had just wrapped up an Army of Darkness, too, Army, Army of Darkness versus Marvel Zombies. So yeah. I, I've had like that's my other kind of kooky crossover. Yeah. Well, uh, Chew Revival was also, but that that's a different animal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's just one of these things, and it actually the approval process took so long, and they didn't necessarily. Um, like they didn't go for the first thing I pitched, which which is fine, which is yeah. normal. But the, it went off for so long that I didn't think this project was happening. And then suddenly it like they're like, hey, what about this direction? It's like, oh, I like this. You know, you work with an editor, and you're like, you start bouncing ideas, and yeah. it gets hot again. And then it's like, this is it. This is the story. Oh wait, this this project that's been going on for like six months that I thought was dead, boom, it's back to life. And like, yeah. oh, here we go. You know, hit the ground running. Uh, we're gonna have it for San Diego. Holy crap! Okay, so a setup. You know, obviously we're waiting for the. The first issue comes out next week. They've next got it week. here, but but next week. Okay, well maybe I'll have to pick it up here then. Uh, but but so the thing is like like does it dreads how do, aliens and predators seem to be perfect to be able to drop into anything. Well, there's yeah, no but, there, you don't have to even twist the, the reality. But I did. 
Okay. It, it starts off with a crash-landed predator, uh, and uh, and the predator has crashed into this place in the cursed earth called the Alabama morass, okay. which is a uh, it's basically a jungle inhabited by island of Dr. Moreau creatures. Uh, and you've got a you've got a mad scientist who's like creating these man animal hybrids, and the predator crashes and he starts getting hunted, and he's hunted by these like weird man animal things, and that immediately you know changes the dynamic. He gets trapped, uh, captured, and then what happens is predators come to rescue their, mm-hmm. you know, their their in, you know, yeah. their captive, you know, colleague. So it, it's um, it, it, it's not it's not a predator hunting; it's a predator hunted, and then that brings predators. Meanwhile, you've got a mad scientist who's a genetic engineer who you know just designs all kinds of crazy stuff. And among the trophy case, first he's getting crazy predator DNA. Wow, I've got this awesome alien DNA. But also in the trophy cabinet, what is this alien skull? And what kind of DNA is it going to have? Meanwhile, so that's enough aliens, predator balls in the air. Uh, You've got Judge Dredd uh, chasing a robot messiah from uh, from apocalyptic death cult from uh, uh, Mega City 1 into the Cursed Earth. So he's driving right into the middle of this... uh, yeah. You know, you've already got this clash, and then suddenly, like, Judge Dredd is in the middle of it. And that's the setup. And there you go. And that's, but, I mean, it's chaos. Like, it's and not that's like just, the first three pages, right? That's all it is. <laughs> it's not just aliens versus Predator versus Judge Dredd. It's it's that versus, you know, robot cultist. It's that worth. Did you fit crazy. Archie in there just to, you know? Well, by the end, when you got to issue four, because what happens is you write very detailed. Like, the first issue synopsis is very yeah. detailed, and then... Two is a little less detailed, and three is a little less detailed, and four is like, oh, they all fight, and you know, ends like yeah. this, blah blah blah. But then you get to that, it's like, oh crap, they all fight, and then this happens. You got to make that twenty pages, and I've got all these characters, and and four was a tightrope because everyone's got to get their moment. You got to yeah. like tie everything together, and it was like, you get so many pages, you don't go over the pages, right? And uh, and uh, it was it was tough. But it it worked out, and issue four is ma- like each issue is madness in its own way. That is great. So we are reaching the. As you said this is full circle. So let's have a wellness talk. Uh, God, four issues or two left. How many? Four. Four issues left. Fifty six came out yesterday. It ends okay. at sixty. So uh, I've written fifty nine. Sixty's double size, but I've written half a sixty. So like. I've done most of what I need to yeah, do. Yeah, is there a sadness to this? Oh, yeah. I mean, this oh, has been the epic. I mean, this is the thing that we remember. You know, Rob and I, we're in sync. We work well together. I mean, this was our thing. But but we also said it was going to come to an end. It's a novel, beginning, middle of end. And, you know, we reached it. People were like, well, you, you could go 60, you could go 80. No, the, we're at the end of the novel. You know, this is, you know. Well, how about the animation? Is that moving forward? No. I mean, I mean it's not dead, which, which means it's still alive in Hollywood, but it never... These things are going. Nothing happens until it happens, and then it happens super fast. Okay. And so you can't watch the pot boil in Hollywood because it never does. Well, then let me ask my roundtable question that we were going to try to set you up with. Because I have one more question left, uh, <laughs> which is, what is it now? You're working with all these licensed properties that have been transmedia. You've tried to go. Yeah, but I'm done. I'm done with Judge Dredd. I'm done with Mars Attacks. Okay. I have an aftershock book with a slow legend. Which I'm giving him script as he okay. needs it slowly okay. and uh, and chewing. I don't know what's next. But in this day and age, what is what is it that comics can give? What sparked? What I was going to talk to you was was my son looks at ultra realistic art and goes, I don't like it because I can't. It, it looks too real. Like it's it stops being fun. Okay. You know. So the question is, what can comics give that those other media can't? Anything. That's the glory. It can give literally any kind of story for any type of audience in any type of style. And I think people are realizing this. That's why there's so much kind of push for diversity is people are realizing it doesn't have to be white guys writing about superheroes in, in capes. You know, it can be about anything and appeal to anyone. And uh, and you see this show just getting bigger and bigger as a result. It's insane. Yeah. But it's excellent. And, okay, I'm going to see one last thing. Are you playing Lego Dimensions? No. <laughs> I know I should, but uh, no. All right. I just had to know. All right. Should I? And a little off the beaten path from a a company called Zero One Press, 
which does graphic novels and is kind of a, a smaller alternative. And I really like to call attention to books like this, uh, a book called Case File Arkham, which is a noir mystery uh, combined with H.P. Lovecraft, staying away from the Cthulhu mythos and more of Dagon and, and kind of the other aspects of it. It's nice that we remind people that there is a different, or there is another Arkham. Well, because they remind me too, you yeah. know, but, but also, yes, because it's Arkham, Massachusetts, where right. where the bat bat editors, not the, well, from the bat stable, uh, the uh, bat cow, the bat bullpen, uh, stole our, the <laughs> That's name. That's no cow. Took, it's, it's the creeping unknown. Uh, no, actually, I think that's uh, British. Isn't that Quatermass is the uh, creeping unknown? But uh, anyway, that uh, <laughs> Arkham is taken from H.P. Lovecraft and his works. And so uh, these guys, uh, Patrick McAvoy and Josh Finney, and uh, Patrick as well is the going to be the artist on the next issue of The Lost in Space Lost oh. Episodes comics. So really interesting book. And I because I hadn't read it when I talked to them, but I have read it now. I want to talk just a little bit to lay it out. That it is this really cool noir mystery, but it includes that that uh, they are kind of modeling the characters after some of the actors from that period in film history. So their lead character does look a lot. Their protagonist looks a lot like Robert Mitchum. Uh, it's kind of funny, fun to kind of imagine this this black and white book being like the weirdest film noir you've ever seen. <laughs> so it's really fun. Case File Arkham. And it's uh, Patrick McAvoy and Josh Finney. Here we go. I am at Comic-Con with Patrick McAvoy and Josh Finney. Hello there. Hello. Howdy. You've got a book called, uh, sorry, I missed the title here, uh, Arkham. Case, Case File Arkham. Case File Arkham. Okay. From Zero One Press. Publishing. Publishing. Zero publishing. Okay. Zero One Publishing, Case yes. File Arkham. Do you yes. own this? <laughs> yes, imprint? actually. Uh, no, you are totally self-published. Oh, the, the no, imprint no, no. is uh, Josh's wife, Cat. Okay. That's secret. Ah. That's not supposed to be told, talked about. Okay. Never mind. Oh, all right. I, I forget you heard that. <laughs> I, I don't know it's it just is. better not to bring it up, is it? It's, uh, it's no. been brought yeah, well, what it is is that Kat runs a publishing company, and it's, she publishes actually a number of other people as well, um, and she publishes us too. Yeah. <laughs> All and, right. And this is the second book we've done together for Zero One. The first one was called uh, World War Kaiju, and uh, that came I out a couple of, of years yeah. ago, and it's sort of a... Uh, take off on uh, what if the Cold War was fought with kaiju instead of nuclear bombs? Godzilla meets Doctor Strangelove. Who, who exactly. says that's not what really happened? I I am not going to argue that. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it is the history of it's a secret history of the Cold War. So you got to read the book. And then uh, earlier this year, we uh, released our second book together called Case File Arkham, which has nothing to do with World War Kaiju. It's a completely different style, genre. And that one uh, came about where we were just tossing ideas and said, you know, uh, well, what, 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 the, what the world needs. Yeah. <laughs> no, what it was is that, you know, people kept asking us to do a Lovecraft thing. Yeah. What it was, it was because you have such a history doing, was it... Arkham Horror and Call of Cthulhu and all those games. Yeah, and, and pe people uh, said, "Why don't you guys do some Lovecraft?" You're an artist on Call of Cthulhu. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the collectible card game and the uh, Arkham Horror board game, all those okay. things. Yeah. My podcast producer, I believe, uh, owns and plays those games. Oh, so, fantastic! Or at least has at one point. A producer his, of rare taste. <laughs> and you know, we were talking about an avid gamer. You know, would we originally we were like, well, I suppose we could script and illustrate a Lovecraft story, and then somewhere along the line, it's like we decided we wanted to do P.I. Noir. I, I I remember us saying, you know, the problem with with Lovecraft, it's great and all, but if you're doing it as a comic book, your your uh, main character is going to be a real wimp who yeah, just goes insane and faints at yeah, the merest the sight of. Uh, Lovecraft characters, the world just happens to them. <laughs> yeah. Right. They are passive, yeah. And, you know, the thing with P.I. Noir is, you know, that you, your hero steps in and, you know, is going to cause problems and punch people in the face. and yeah. They might know. get beaten up, but they come right back. Yeah. And so we said, what if we put that together with Lovecraft's world? And we got, I think, a really fantastic meshing yeah. of the two genres. Uh, 
and it's been done before, but I think you not know, like this. I think we've done it a little differently than anyone else. It's not tongue in cheek at all. We don't wink at the audience. We just take the best of those genres and kind of tried to put it together. Well, as I like to say, most attempts to mix the two have always kind of been more on the end of being Monster Hunter. It tends to be a Monster Hunter type title or a Cal McDonald type title. And what I really wanted to go for was a genuine, legit, you know, 40s era noir story in the spirit of Raymond Chandler that just happens to be in his universe, in Lovecraft's universe. And that was the aim, was to tell a real PI story that's serious, that just happens to be in that world. And he stumbled upon it. Uh, you, you keep referring to this as written, illustrated, dare we call it a graphic novel? Or oh, it is. Okay. I would call it nothing but a graphic I'm proud to call it a graphic novel. Oh, yeah, it's novel. a graphic novel. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it was a real collaboration uh, from the ground up. After our initial uh, discussions, uh, we went off to our respective corners, and Josh crafted, I think, a classic uh, noir tale. I mean, just... It, it has it has all the elements of a classic noir story with the uh, flawed hero and the femme fatale and the, the, the socialite with too much money and uh, too much alcohol in her. Yeah, and and, and any of them have too many tentacles? <laughs> no tentacles, actually. Oh, okay. There's no tentacles in this book. Right. Yeah, well, a couple coming out of mouths. Yeah, but it's but, primarily about ghouls and nightmares. Yeah, and so then I went oh, off and yeah. I appreciate you guys going to it. <laughs> A, a, a lesser stereotypical corner of, oh. of uh, Lovecraft. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the tentacle thing is is in many ways uh, is something that the fans have come up with. You know, the idea and the popular consciousness that you think tentacles, you think Lovecraft. But really, you know, it's not that big a thing in, in his stories. So we, we went more with, you know, ghouls and the underworld and the fear of the unknown and crazy characters. Yeah, the two stories that it really kept tapping were um, Pickman's Model is really, it's kind of an accompanying book. It kind of happens concurrently and after Pickman's Model. And then the other one would be Dagon. There's just touches of Dagon in there. And it's primarily in his dreams. Thank you. Is this available outside of Comic-Con? Oh, Absolutely. Get it uh, on Amazon right now. You can go to Amazon. Uh, oh, Thank yes. You. <laughs> Comixology. <laughs> yeah. Comixology as well if you want to get the digital version. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, if I can say for a moment, uh, back on the interview, uh, uh, on what we talked about earlier, that you're on the Lost in Space book. Yes. And that you're going to do the interiors on issue four, is that what you said? That's absolutely right. Uh, it's from American Gothic Press, and they got the rights to do two... Uh, unproduced uh, Lost in Space scripts from the 1960s and each of the scripts is a three issue arc so I did the covers and the coloring for issues one through three which are being uh, collected uh, as a small graphic novel and uh, then I did the interiors as well so everything, the cover, the uh, pencils and inks and the coloring for issues number 4, 5 and 6 and those are coming out real soon Good, they've been really fun to read Uh, and the the ones I do just kind of go the ones I do just kind of go uh, off the deep end because the script is called Malice in Wonderland where the crew meets uh, the characters from Malice in Wonderland and Dr. Smith actually turns into several of the characters of like uh, he's the Mad Hatter and he's the Cheshire Cat and he's the giant caterpillar so uh, oh I went nuts it was lots of fun excellent excellent well thank you for taking time to talk about this and uh, look forward to I'll pick up this book and I look forward to the Lost in Space books as well okay. oh well thank you very much oh, thank you very much <laughs> very fun conversation and our last interview for this podcast is probably the high point of my entire con Really? Absolutely. Because I love this. Absolutely. Because, you know, you and I are both fans of this book. Oh, yeah. And I was actually, uh, when I went to... Actually, I finally got the, the Blu-ray on it. Oh, there's a Blu-ray? Because the last time I, I checked, so. it was only a DVD. Or maybe it was just a DVD. And, and I realized, I think you and I have talked about this, like, on cartoons, do you really need to have a Blu-ray? And yet there's a part of me that says, oh, yes, absolutely. I do. Yeah. Uh, even when it was made for On this television. one, I think so. Because think it's so lush. It's so yeah. lush. And there we go. And even uh, this... <laughs> when I interviewed uh, the guys from Case File Arkham, um, 
I went to the Mysterious Galaxy bookstore and bought, we talked about this, I think the last podcast that I brought out the Valerian book. Uh-huh. That's where I bought it from. And the guy was telling me he'd just gotten this Charles Vess Midsummer Night's Dream. And I said, oh, you like Charles Vess. And that early 20th century art do you know Over the Garden Wall? Oh. And he didn't. So I came missing to go over and buy the exclusive. Such a, have you, have you seen it? Over the Garden Wall? Yeah, I've seen I've seen part of it. Oh, you But not, not the you whole thing. The yeah. whole thing it's so deceiving. It, yeah. On the surface, it looks so shallow yeah. and just like yeah. everything else. But when you and sit there and watch it, it's, it's so like, astounding. So, wow, so much. So I yeah. think we've built up. You can guess that this is my high point, was getting to talk to Pat yeah. McHale, thanks to the people at Boom Studios. Pat McHale is the creator of Over the Garden Wall. Really kind, gentle guy. One of the best, and I will say invigorating. Like, I haven't walked at actually this Comic Con because in the last interview session, section I had Arvin David as well from uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic mm-hmm. uh, Detective Agency. And those two men and their, their enthusiasm about their creative spirit are, were both the things that just kind of like you get tired at Comic Con, you get yeah. exhausted, and then you have these conversations. You go, that's right. That's why I come here. That's why I love this medium and this is why i love these people and so it was just a great conversation again thank you mel kalo from boob studios for arranging because this was canceled out on me like three times and he rescheduled for the last day and it was fantastic so ah pat mchale we're here at comic-con with pat mchale the creator and whatever other title you want to give yourself of uh, over the garden wall which longtime listeners of the podcast know uh, is one of my favorite projects, creative things in the last couple of years. I uh, love the comic book. Here's Mel coming in. Mel Kalo, thank you for making this happen. Uh, and so we uh, just uh, over at uh, Comic-Con, they have a, a gorgeous hardcover collection, Tome of the Unknown, and you've been doing a series of miniseries and a one-shot and all this little things in there. So... Pat, I guess, you know, the first question is the inspiration for Over the Garden garden Wall in the first place. You probably told other people, mm-hmm. but my listeners may not have heard it, so I need to know. Okay. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, and so, like, I was used to the seasons. Uh, sorry, also my voice. Like, That's all right. It's Sunday. Yeah. By the way, yes, it is Sunday. No one has voice left except me because, you know. Yeah, I'm, uh, a lot, I'm a lot lower than I usually <laughs> um, So, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, and I was, I was used to the seasons of the year. But for um, to go to animation school, I moved out to California. And um, I started kind of getting nostalgic for the seasons and uh, particularly the fall. So at some point I took some time off just to, like, get away from L.A. and in the, in the fall and um, spent some time in Concord, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there and there's, like, um, colonial houses and, and the leaves coming down and the, um, the graveyard. And I was, like, listening to, like, the Mills Brothers and, like, old music and stuff. And, and like, it kind of just, like, gelled into this kind of feeling um, that was really felt like special and different from other things um and so that was like in like 2004 or something and then um like later on you know stories kind of developed and and um eventually it kind of became a show yeah i mean there definitely is an east coast feeling and it's a show that reminds californians uh the rest of the country is not the same of oh just it's not always blazing hot yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) but there's an interesting autumnal feeling of of even the the themes of, of the work, like what informed the relationship between the brothers? So that's, it's sort of like, um, I mean, all, all the characters are sort of like me in different ways, like, um, but um, like Wirt is sort of like a teenage version of me, and not really, I mean, I was sort of more like Sarah, actually, or something, like I was sort of like the weirder one with the, mm-hmm. wearing weird stuff, but like, um, there's a lot of me and Wirt um, as a teenager, and then a lot of me and Greg as a child and so it was sort of like teenage me and child me hanging out or something and like kind of that dynamic because I was an only child um, so but I, I I grew up going to um, different people's houses to be babysat who had like kind of you know brothers and sisters and so I'd be like observing them you know yeah. and like their relationships um, and uh, but yeah most of it is kind of just personal but you talk about, Greg is an amazing uh you know, portrayal of of childhood and taking everything at face value, and this you know, uh, and a line that has stuck. And my son and I can crack each other up, but still, is we're here to burgle your turds. I mean, we're because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a kind of an archaic way he speaks too. Because who says burgle yeah, anymore? Yeah. But the rhythm of that was so perfect. So, um, 
Yeah, it, it, he was sort of like, um, yeah, he's like a child. He's somehow he's like sort of stuck in an old time too. Yeah, because like he almost talks like an old time radio guy, like a gangster mm-hmm. sometimes a little bit or something. Yeah, and then like uh, a little bit of like old cartoon stuff. So like when the the two brothers, um, their their perspectives on life are sort of combined to create what their experience is in the unknown in the story and so like there's like this overly dramatic like really heavy emotional stuff that's like kind of more work centric and then there's the like weird cartoony stuff and the like the ant- talking animals and the whatever you know that kind of stuff and that's like the Greg stuff so in like episode 8 when Greg goes up into the clouds that's like pure Greg world mm-hmm. sort of um, and so that was sort of the distinction is I don't mean to just say that, you know, it's East Coast, but does it, I, their experience is they are modern children, mm-hmm. but the, the unknown is like a hundred years ago, and children's literature of a hundred years ago, so let's touch on that as an influence. Sure. Um, well, the, the concept with that is, like, they're going into this place called the unknown, which is, like, literally just things that are beyond human perception, like the unknown things, and so their experience there has to be shaped like if it's this vague nebulous um foggy thing beyond human perception then how would they perceive it uh, in like a dreamlike way and so um kind of like the deeper they get the older the things get so like by episode um seven right yeah seven um it's like the lorna and andy whispers one that's like old like older than some of the other stuff like episode uh three which is like the schoolhouse they're kind of making their way towards like a better place more towards their home but then it shifts you know and it gets older and older uh, stuff um, as they get like further away from their own reality um, and uh, but yeah so it was an opportunity to like kind of just mush a bunch of my interests of old stuff like uh, into something that kind of made sense of why it would be a bunch of random stuff yeah, yeah. And I promise I'll get to the comic but every time you say something it reminds me of a favorite thing about this show I mean, you had amazing voice talent, too. But one of the things that uh, I, I got a lot of friends interested in was I, you pretty much got Tim Curry back for the first time since his stroke. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? And it was a great characterization, but, you know, I have Rocky Horror fans who are like, I, you have to watch this. Tim's okay. Yeah. You know, and that's how I knew. So. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I've always wanted to work with him. Um, I'm a big fan of his. And, um, like, I've, I had, like, this, like, kind of, I mean, I, I, I haven't, like, written feature scripts or anything yet I'm working on it but yeah good okay I want to follow that <laughs> but, um, but uh, like I have ideas for like stuff that like like oh Tim Curry like as like this woods like woodsman or like as this whatever like um, like in kind of because he's so, so good at doing monsters like you know in it and in like, yeah. regular picture show he's kind of a monster and you know kind of, um, yeah. and so uh, it, it was just I, know, I just I just really wanted to work with him someday and um, when when anti whispers came up we got, we got John Cleese, and um, oh, and, and he and he was he was uh, Endicott, yeah, and also uh, Adelaide, yeah. And when we got him to do Adelaide, it was like, oh, if they're going to be connected, you know, Anti Whispers and Adelaide, we should get like another guy, like like. And I was like, oh, we can get John Cleese. I, I mean, um, we can get we can get uh, Tim Curry, and um, yeah, and and then just kind of like just worked perfectly for that character, yeah, yeah. All right, um, so let's get to the comic then. Okay. Thank, thankfully, it's Boom Studios is why I get to talk to you. And who approached who? Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I was working on the show, um, and Cartoon Network and Boom, I think, sent me an email jointly about um, like, like you know, do you have time to do a comic right now? Like, you know, we're in the middle of production, but I was like, oh, this is like a chance to do a comic. It'd be Amazing, and so I thought it'd be a lot easier than it was. So, um, like, cause, <laughs> that's I mean, an interesting perspective. Yeah. Well, because because I've I've written stories, you know, before, and um, I was just like, oh yeah, I just like I, I know these characters now. Like, I can just write something, and and it's not that long. It's it's not like a full eleven minute story. Like, I can just kind of do it in my free time or something. Um, and uh, it was like really hard. But anyway, I'm kind of skipping over. Um, yeah, I, they they wanted to they wanted to do like a a little special, so it was like a little bit longer than the mm-hmm. rest of the comics, um, and so I don't know. I guess I'm losing my, my 
my focus. No, at first it was a one shot, right? Which uh, I admit I missed yes. because it was like my comic book store sold out, and then I couldn't find it. Because yeah, it's just tremendous successful. Clearly, yeah, we. I, I think we didn't know how a surprise hit. I yeah, mean, yeah. which is great. I mean, you know. So, and then you've done a couple mini series. Mm-hmm. So, how hard was it? Because that story is so complete. Like I, I, I did want more, but it also wrapped up so neatly. You know, and how hard was it to find those cracks in the in the miniseries where you could fit more stories? I mean, oh, I know there's a lot of side exploration yeah. of the well, end. Well, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, yeah, when they said, like, do you want to do a comic? I was like, well, what would we do a comic about? We're, we're telling the story. And then, like, thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, like, we, we I kind of started with 18 stories. Because when Cartoon Network um, uh, approached me about doing the miniseries, um, they were like, just... Just structure it however you want, like uh, however many episodes would be ideal. And so I worked on like 18 premises. Um, mm-hmm. And then after conversations about, you know, uh, budgeting and, and uh, air dates and stuff like that, it's like we, we got to do 10. And so I had to cut like half the episodes sort of. And it was like, that was like. Okay, so you did have. Yeah, so that was like the hardest part of it. It was like trying to readjust all the story arcs and everything to make sense. Because that brings up another question. I mean, I think it, I think it was touted as like this is Cartoon Network's first miniseries. Mm-hmm. So why did they go that format? Is it just? It, um, I think it was. There's a lot of reasons. I think they were trying to do something new, um, mm-hmm. and just trying to like be. I mean, like the cool kid on the block, like doing something different. Um, yeah. And then uh, also, I was living in New York State at the time. Right. Like I had moved away from LA, um, and so. I wasn't really interested in moving back permanently to, to L.A. I, I had a, a child and, like, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So um, w- when I was pitching stuff, I was kind of joking about, um, like, yeah, we could do a miniseries. Like, then I would have to, you know, I could yeah. just come out temporarily and stuff. And then uh, later on, they came back to me uh, in a serious way. It's like, well, what if, what if we actually do a miniseries? Like, what if, what about that? How would you want, feel about that? And I was like, yeah, that's, like, absolutely ideal because I, I would love to fly out for, like, a year, just not permanently. Yeah. So, Do you think having a child changed your your approach to storytelling? And in particular that, you know, again, it's a great show about childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, that. by the time, like, we were done, I mean, my, my, my child was still, like, an infant. So okay. it was, like... It was more just like difficult to get the work done while having a newborn, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I get it. So, um, but um, it, it's been funny since then that like my son has sort of like become more Greg-like, and, and like <laughs> so like sometimes when I when I uh, put things on Twitter, like uh, like things that he's he said or like conversations yeah. we had that are like little funny things, like everyone's like he's Greg, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, like. Uh, he actually came after Greg, you know, because Greg is like kind of an older character. Then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so what's next for you? Will there be more comics? Will there be the, more miniseries for you? So, so I wrote f- uh, five comics, um, the, the fifth of which I co-wrote with with uh, Amalia Lavari, and then um, after that, um, they started an ongoing. So Jim Campbell, who illustrated the first bunch, mm-hmm. um, w- is writing his half. So the new comics are split into, into two sections. There's uh, um, Greg's Dreamland stories that, that mm-hmm. continue after they get home. Yes. And so um, Jim's working on those. And then Amalia um, and Kara uh, were doing uh, um, Anna stories. And Anna is the woodsman's daughter. So like what she was up to while the woodsman was away, mm-hmm. um, kind of delving into that. Okay. And so they're continuing with those. Um, and then things... After, after in, in the fifth episode, uh, fifth issue, things are going to kind of split off and change again. But okay, um, what's next for you in television and animation? Um, I'm working on developing something in Cartoon Network, which I guess officially I can't well, I t- talk much about. But um, hopefully, it'll go. It has a similar tone and some like you know certain interests of mine that I, I kind of want to get in into more. Um, yeah. Is, is, yeah. Okay, know. good. Well, we look forward to it. Thank you for taking some time this morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great. Oh, and by the way, congratulations on the Eisner, too. Yeah, that's I, nuts. How could I forget that? <laughs> you, you were an Eisner for this work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we, we all had, like, um, uh, like Jim and I were, were just like, like, what are we, what, why are we, <laughs> like, this is, like, kind of our first our first uh, thing. Like, I mean, I was saying, like, when I was doing the comics, like, I thought, like, oh, this will be, like, 
not too hard. And then as soon as I started, I was like, wait, how do you write comics? It's completely different from writing film. Like the yeah. you have to like imagine what the panels are going to be, and right. you have to do like a a layout when you're writing words. And like I, it was just like blowing my mind. Um, and like Jim was was like the savior of it because he he would like take what I was doing and like fix it, you know, in, when he was doing mm-hmm. the drawings. Um, but even him, like he he uh, he's been doing comics for a while, but nothing professionally like this. So it's like first thing, and it's like what what like. <laughs> It's amazing. But it's good. Yeah. I mean, and like I say, you captured childhood. There's a gentleness to the story. There's a darkness to the story. There's everything that, I mean, on a kid's level. A, <laughs> but adults can enjoy it. It's truly an all-ages book. So, once again, thank you so much for taking time. This oh, program. thank you. And so that is this week's podcast. That's a wrap on Comic-Con. That's a wrap on, uh, which I feel at this point, well, because we're about to just enter the next convention season. We'll uh-huh. talk about that in last week's podcast. no it totally makes sense Uh, (laughs) anyway so uh thank you for listening once again uh if you have any questions comments compliments criticism commentary uh write into editor at fanboyplanet.com until last week i'm Derek mccaw editor-in-chief of fanboy planet I'm Jason Salazar. And I'm Rick Bretson. I'm totally going to put that in reverse. <laughs> no. You're be talking like the little man from another place. <laughs> Reminding you to use your powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. I don't hear anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> this this is where we leave a gap so I can see oh, I can course. see a flat part of the waveform and I know where to edit in oh. this. I ruin everything. Okay. I like the way you whispered into yeah. that. It's okay. kind of like an over-the-garden-wall character. <laughs> <laughs> Take it in. And I'm Rick Bretson. I'm totally going to put that in reverse. <laughs> no. You're be talking like the little man from another place. <laughs> Reminding you to... Use your powers only for good. Agreed. <laughs> that gum you like is I coming for, back I always, for, I always forget to do that when you guys do that. I've done this enough. Damn it. Well, now you've 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 done the rehearsal, but, so the next show you'll yes, be on. Yes, I'm I'm on, on for, for opening night. Okay. All right, I'm going to stop this so I have a separate file. Another opening night.